0: you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys. Good morning. How you doing? Wow. <laughs> you guys gonna go back out the lobby and get some coffee? How we doing? You guys okay? Everybody glad to be here. I am pumped that you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. I am so glad that you chose to gather with us this morning. If you're online, grateful for you joining us there. We are in the middle of a series called The Gift. You guys pumped for Christmas? I, I am so excited! I love Christmas. Such a fun time, and uh, love all of the Christmas songs we're doing, and all the all the cool stuff coming up. Uh, a couple of quick things I just wanted to celebrate with you before we get going. So we talk about being a radically generous church over and over again, and I love to connect the dots for you. Maddie said it earlier that you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And so, you know, not not too long ago we served over 150 families through our our Food for Families Thanksgiving initiative, which was amazing and grateful for how our church showed up in that space. But I wanted you to know, naturally there's always new opportunities and seasons to be a generous church. And just recently, Crestview Elementary reached out to our church. We we partner with them often um, with a family in need who's been going through some really, really hard times, and uh, cancer, and all kinds, you name it, it's happening, right? And uh, they reached out and said, hey, can you help this family? Uh, They need a car repair, Um, and it's way outside of, uh, you know, really anybody's budget. And so I just wanted you to know, because of your radical generosity, we handed that family a check to fix their car on Friday. Put your hands together for that. It's amazing, guys. Such a privilege, such a joy to be a part of a radically generous church. We get to do that. In addition, uh, we are in the middle of what we're calling our Here for good campaigns. So if you don't know, if you're new to City Church, new-ish, uh, we're a two-and-a-half-year-old church. We've been in this building um, for just a little bit, uh, like around a year and a half. COVID kicked off. That was a great time to be not in a building but we had it anyway and so we have the opportunity we're putting our hands toward purchasing the property that we're in and so if you've not heard about this campaign you can go to our website there's an entire page dedicated to it there are booklets in the seatbacks in front of you for the here for good campaign um, and this is just our effort at raising a million dollars toward a down payment on this building if you're a guest with us by the way and take this with a grain of salt. This is primarily for our City Church family. But I wanted to celebrate. As of today, we have raised over $400,000 toward this initiative. Put your hands together for your radical generosity, guys. That's amazing. It's absolutely... i got coaches. I've got churches that are way bigger than ours. And they're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, "Huh." Ah. I don't know. God did it. It's just what he does. And so, man, we are hopeful and excited for for our effort toward permanence, that we're not just a church in and for the city, but we have a desire and a vision to be a church here for good. You guys with me on that? And so I'm so pumped for all that God is doing. I just wanted to say thank you for that. And as we get into today's message, again, we're kind of taking three weeks looking at the Christmas story, specifically the manger scene. Now, really cool, I want to just give a shout-out to everyone that took some time after our gathering last week and put their feet and their hands to work and did a thousand door hangers in our North Boulder neighborhood over here. Put your hands together for all the sweat equity that went into that. There wasn't much sweating because it was nice and cool outside, but here's what's awesome is in the middle of us getting these door hangers out and letting people know about Christmas Eve, uh, we had someone actually donate a manger to us <laughs> in their gratitude, which is awesome, and, and uh, I don't know where that ended up. I think it's at somebody's house, but um, I want you to think about it. What do you picture when you see the manger? That little nativity scene, you know, you got maybe a little baby Jesus, and some, you know, Mary, and, and Joseph, and maybe an angel, and, you know, maybe some animals, and then there's normally like, what, three wise men floating around there somewhere, right? So we've been looking at this passage in Matthew 2, let me show it to you. If you missed for week one, you can go check it out on our YouTube channel or our podcast, but Matthew chapter 2, it'll be here on the screen, verses 10 and 11 captures the verses, or, or rather the story of um, what happens when the wise men show up. You guys got that for me? You guys got it? Matthew 2. Awkward pause. Look at that. Put your hands together. Put your hands together. (laughs) All right, all right. Our our tech is like blowing up back there. If anybody's got like an extra MacBook Pro laying around, hook us up, okay? Tis the season. All right, anyway, Matthew 2. When the, the wise men see the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. We talked a lot about this last week, so you can go back and catch that piece. With great joy, they're so pumped. They go to the house. They see the child with Mary, his mother, and they fall down and worship him. And then opening their treasures, they offer him gifts of gold, And frankincense and myrrh I don't know how familiar you are with the Christmas story Where you are on your faith journey If you've been following Jesus for a minute If you're new to faith, if you're skeptical of faith If you've been hurt by the church You're just unsure of where you stand When it comes to this whole Jesus thing But my goal today is to invite us a little deeper Into God's heart heart for us And how that actually might influence what we do When we leave this place today Now, in this story, I want you to imagine Odds are, historically, by the time the wise men Actually get to Jesus, he's probably a toddler He's not, you know, I don't know, in your mind but, you know, we have these scenes of, like, little baby Jesus hanging out in the hay. Little baby, you know, in the little, right? But it's probably little baby Jesus playing baby shark for the millionth time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's that age. If you don't have a two-year-old, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just YouTube baby shark and play it a million times. You're going to know what it's like to have a two-year-old. So I just imagine these wise men bowing down to a toddler, right? I mean, this is a scene not as calm and as quiet as maybe the manger scene that we normally have in our minds. And they show up and they give three gifts, and they're unusual to us, although gold would be appreciated. Maybe a little unusual, but they would have been very valuable. They would have been incredibly useful. But what's really unique about the Christmas story, maybe you didn't know this, is that these three gifts serve as incredible symbolism of who Jesus is and what he came to do, And so we see gold, which, which we're going to talk about next week, is it represents Jesus as king. We're going to see frankincense, which we talked about last week, which is Jesus, our high priest. And today we're going to talk about myrrh, which is like this valuable gum-like substance that occasionally was used like as an antiseptic. Okay? And so you have th- this, I, I don't know if you, you're familiar with the story, but when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Roman guards, they offer him wine mixed with myrrh as, as a numbing for the pain. It was often used as an ingredient to embalm the dead. This would have been what they used to prepare Jesus' body after he was crucified, going into the tomb. And, and, and what this symbolizes for you and I is Jesus as what scholars refer to as the suffering servant. We're gonna look at that text today. Or, uh, as John would call him, the Lamb of God sent to uh, take away the sins of the world. And so today, you and I are gonna look at what, what Jesus would ultimately endure For us on behalf of humanity and what that actually means for you and I. And so let's just kind of back up because before we get into the Isaiah passage we're going to look at today, I think we got to do some groundwork, okay? And so if you're taking notes, this is for you. I love to take notes because because I I can't remember hardly anything on my own. And so, you know, get your phones out, whatever you need to do to write some things down. But I want you to think about it. The intersection, if you're like me, the intersection of pain over time becomes a, a really large struggle, doesn't it? Think about it. When you and I have this intersection of pain over time, it really starts to move into this really deep struggle. Like I don't know where you walked in. Maybe you're on like a really really great place or maybe you're in a really deep struggle. Like I don't like pain in general, but but, but then when pain sticks around, it gets really frustrating, doesn't it? Like I I didn't invite you to show up and make your home here. And so we've all found ourselves at this intersection in life of pain and 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 then the endurance part, where, where, again, the experience of pain and the frustration of it sticking around for longer than a millisecond really starts to bother us, right? It pushes us to places of frustration, of deep struggle, maybe even places of despair or just giving up altogether. That, that when life gets hard, you and I really start to struggle. And as we talk about this concept, I'm, I'm just aware that we live in this culture of short attention spans, and chasing the next best thing, and instant gratification, and, you know, we have a microwave culture that, that we just naturally, like, resist pain, don't we? I mean, it's definitely in my heart to avoid it at all costs, especially when it appears to be making plans to stay a while. <laughs> I'm like, no thanks. Let's figure it out. So this is true. Think about it, just in your own life. I don't know where you're walking in, but think about your relationships. As soon as, like, extended family relationships get weird, what do we do? kind of give them that, you know, oh, I'm busy for the holidays, <laughs> right? We could, we, or, or you know what, like p- marriage gets rough, people start to fight, argue, and they're not seeing eye to eye, and all of a sudden the conversations of divorce come up, and people are just willing to walk away, right? When it gets hard, dating, the dating game in general is challenging if you're single and you're doing that, whether whether it's dating and you're trying to figure out if you actually like this person, or you're in the dating game and it's just painful because nothing's working out, and we're just like, man, I don't want to do this. Or like our finances, right? When things get tight, that's when we start to feel that pinch and that pain that we try to avoid, whether by distracting or buying more stuff or going into more debt, getting another credit card. Right? Our jobs, what do we do? We have this constant persuasion in our world of like, if my job is not making me happy, if it gets challenging, if I don't like it, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go find another one. Right? We do this in our degree programs. Right? I'm trying to figure out if I like this in school, and as soon as it gets hard, maybe I'm going to bail out. Or you know, We do this in our Friendships. Like, I like you until this is hard and you're not meeting all of my needs and then I'm just going to walk away from you. People do this with church all the time, don't they? Right? We're like, oh, you know what? I love this church until someone hurts my feelings or, or doesn't check in on me or, or gives me a phone call and you know what? I'm just going to go find another one. You and I are just averse to pain often. This is true of, of our physical health too, right? That, that, that the second that, that uh, uh, you know, that gym membership starts to feel like a weight, we just dip on it, right? January sounds great, February we're out. No, no way, right? Or, or you know, this is true of kids too, right? Like, at first you're like, "Yeah, man, love my children," and then you're like, "Man, where's the return label <laughs> on these?" Right? The pain, the pain makes it challenging. And and again, the reason I, I, I'm sharing this is because I realize all of us come to these intersections at different places and different times. Sometimes the pain is heavy. Sometimes it's very, very shallow. Um, but this is also true when it comes to faith, right? When, when, when following Jesus is hard. When when these conversations move into an area where it maybe cost more than we were willing to pay or there's some discomfort and my question for you and my question that I've been wrestling with is is what what is it in us that causes us to ride out the pain versus bail right because there's some things that you stick out isn't it right let like, think about it there's some things that are hard and painful and and troubling but then you kind of stick it out to the end and the more that I wrestled with this idea, and what we're going to look at in the life of Jesus today, I think one of the reasons that you and I stick it out sometimes is when we find purpose in the pain. When you and I find purpose in our pain, all of a sudden it's worth it, right? It's why you just don't leave your kids on the side of the road. Also, you can go to jail, but other than that, um, there's purpose in our pain. And and for us, all of a sudden that degree is worth it because there's something on the other side, right? The g- degree itself is maybe not fun, the long hours and the late nights and all the homework and all the finals that we're doing, but again, there's, there's purpose in that pain, right? The, 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 the dating and the, and the hard work to make a relationship work, right? There's purpose at the end of that. Fighting to keep a marriage together, there's purpose at the end of it. Everything that you and I chase after, that we endure, that we stick it out in the middle of the pain, I think what keeps us going is we see a purpose attached to it. And when we lose purpose, we lose hope, and so today we're going to look at what Jesus did for us and, and the purpose that he had and what that might lead you and I to, to move into. So um, Isaiah 53 is where we're going to be today. If you want to turn there as we get there, it'll be, it'll be on the screen as well. But before I give you Isaiah 53, I want to just give you kind of a framework, okay? Anybody, football fans in the room? Football? One? Woo! Yeah, all right. you right. Three? All right, right. Woo! All right, we can have our own football team. So you know, it's funny. You, you can always tell football fans because they make noises. Woo! <laughs> right? So, so football, I want you to imagine that I could predict the two teams in the next Super Bowl. Just imagine that I could predict the next two teams. You'd be like, okay, lucky guess, not too shabby, but imagine, imagine that I could predict not only the two teams that are going to be in the next Super Bowl, but imagine that I could predict the exact score of both teams and the winner of the next Super Bowl. You'd be impressed? Some of you'd be like, we need to go gamble. <laughs> right now, let's make some bets because that is worth it. Now, I want you to imagine. I mean, that would be Impressive, maybe a little freaky, but I want you to imagine that I could predict the two teams in the Super Bowl and the final score 700 years from now. If, if football's still around. <laughs> in 700 years, we'll see. Imagine in 700 years, to date, I could predict not only the two teams in the Super Bowl but the exact score. That in summary is what Isaiah the prophet does concerning the birth of Jesus. He prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus what you and I are about to read, what Jesus would come to do. This is amazing. Now, before I give you all of the details of what Isaiah tells us about Jesus and how he will suffer on our behalf, I first want to help you understand why Jesus has to suffer. Again, if you're new to faith or wrestling with faith, this is really important. So check this out. Isaiah 53, verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I want you to think about all of your favorite football teams, baseball teams, hockey leagues, right? Think of all the cool mascots they pick. Do you know anybody named the Sheeps or the Sheep? Guess it matters. No S on the end. The Sheep. we the Sheep. <laughs> Is, when Isaiah identifies this, this issue of the heart, um, um, this, this, this proclivity inside of us that we're like sheep. It's, it's not a compliment, right? I mean, I mean, it's amazing because you can train a lot of animals, right? I mean, there's a lot of, impre- I mean, you can even train cats, which is amazing to me. But, I, I mean, you can train a lot of animals. People are like, oh, come see my pet pig. But no one's ever like, oh, come see my, you know, my, my sheep roll over, right? The only way you do that is if you push them over, right? Like, that's it. Uh, uh, there, there's no training of sheep. Sheep are just, well, what are they? They're, they're weak, right? Think about it. Sheep have no defense mechanism. When, when Isaiah says you're like sheep, you're like, oh, this is not a compliment. <laughs> what do sheep do? They don't have fangs. They don't have, you know, the ability to fly. They don't have wings to fly away. What do they do? They huddle up and they don't, they're not even smart enough to run away, right? They huddle up in a circle and say, okay, predator, take your pick, right? <laughs> One of us is going, but the rest of us are good, right? They're, they're weak. They, they can't defend themselves, they're witless right, they don't think for themselves, they just kind of follow the crowd, this is a true story, 2005, you can look it up, you can Google it, in 2005 in Turkey, 1,500 sheep followed each other off of a cliff, 1,500 sheep, you think, right, like, we're all kind of cruising, and after number 15, number 16, somebody would hit the brakes and say, this seems like a bad idea, it's a bad idea, (laughs) dad jokes, that's so good, okay, oh man, I get paid by the joke here, so just hold on. 1,500 sheep, man, that's almost embarrassing. All right, so right, 1,500 sheep, right? 400, here's the sad news, 400 of those sheep die. But the rest live because they created like a sheep pillow down there. with all the, I, I kid you not. 1,100 sheep survived because of the nice cushion that the 400 provided. That's sad. That's true. They're witless. Sheep are witless. They don't think for themselves. And the last thing is is sheep are wayward. When Isaiah helps us understand the condition of our heart, what, what Jesus would come to do. Why? Why? Because we have this proclivity in our hearts to wonder. Right? Think about it. Where are you going, sheep? I don't know. I'm chewing some grass here, look up, hey, look, there's some grass over here. Hey, there's some grass over there. Hey, there's some grass over there. All of a sudden, right, you're off a cliff, right? You're like, how did I get here? And, and you and I have these tendencies, don't, don't we, right? Oh, hey, look, there's a new car. Maybe that'll make me happy. Oh, nope, now nah, I'm just in debt. <laughs> oh, hey, there's a, there's, a, you know, there's a relationship that maybe, oh, no, nope, that, that hurt. Hey, you know what? This is an experience everyone else is trying. Maybe I should, oh, no, that didn't work out for me, right? We have these wayward tendencies of just looking at the next best thing. And what Isaiah is saying for you and I is we need help, don't we? I I need help. Because I have this tendency in my heart to go away from God's path and his plan and to do my own thing, to think it's going to work out better, to think that that instant gratification is going to be better than God's plan. And whether or not we are actively, you know, rebelling in our minds and hearts against God or we're just kind of doing our own thing, this is what Jesus came to address. So let me show you, 700 years... Before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 53. Check this out. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Isaiah goes on in verse five. And he says, but he, talking about Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was, he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So Isaiah predicts Jesus' brutal crucifixion and and all the events leading up to it. What's amazing is additionally, Isaiah even talks about how he's gonna be buried in a rich man's grave, Right? It's amazing. How did Isaiah know 700 years prior that the body of Jesus would be laid in a rich man's grave? But you've got to ask the question, because the Christmas story might be familiar to you. Like, what does all this mean for you and me? Like, why should I follow Jesus? I mean, is there anything more to this than just something to reflect on and make me grateful? You see, I think when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the suffering of Jesus... I think the reason Jesus was able to go through with it was because he, he, he knew that there was a purpose in his pain. You see, I, I think when you and I begin to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' suffering on our behalf, when we, when we really get a hold on the depth of his love for you and I, that you and I don't come to Jesus, we don't, we don't live our lives in a way where we just kind of casually say we're Christians. Like, oh yeah, I go to church. It's a thing I do. It's, a, it's a, you know, on my identity list, We we don't casually approach it because it's so overwhelming to see the picture and the devotion and the declaration of God's divine love for us that the only reasonable response when we look at the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus on our behalf is all of ourselves. I don't follow Jesus because I have to. I follow Jesus because of who he is, because of what he's done. He's that good. And I want to fast forward with you from this passage to Jesus in the garden, and I'm just going to kind of paint a picture for you, okay? So I just want you to sit in the narrative with me. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. So all of these events being prophesied by Isaiah, I'm going to just kind of fast forward verbally and give you the story. Jesus is in the garden. He's got his 12 disciples with him. He invites them to come and pray with him. He knows the cross is coming. He knows all of that's about to happen, and he says, hey, I want you to come, pray with me, stay awake, and then he goes a little further from where they're hanging out, and then literally Jesus falls to the ground. His followers, his buddies, they fall asleep and he's all alone and he's preparing to do what he came to do and in that moment Jesus' body speaks before he speaks a word. That he finds himself, his body, the posture of someone too desperate to stand. Jesus all alone begins to experience a medical condition called homocidrosis, which is the literal bursting of capillaries under, under the immense amount of stress that he's in to where he begins to sweat drops of blood. And he, and he says my, my, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death and he begins to pray to God knowing what's coming and he says God let this cup pass from me speaking of what's to come, speaking of God's wrath and, and, and this is a challenge for you and I because, because our hearts and minds don't go here but Jesus is talking about this cup that he's about to experience on behalf of humanity and this is a cup that Jesus has never tasted. Jesus has only known the love of God. And in a moment, he's going to begin to carry the sins of humanity, which is ultimately going to make him an enemy of his father. And he has never been in that place. And so Jesus is not so much broken over the, the, the torture that his physical body will endure, while by all means, I'm sure in his humanity, that is going to be an absolute place of anxiety. But the deeper concern of Jesus' heart, he comes to God, his father, he says, God, can we do this another way? And then he says, it's not my will, but yours. He surrenders in that space. And and I want you to know this. This is amazing. When we think about pain and suffering, you gotta look at Jesus and say, why do you you go through it all? God sends an angel to Jesus in that moment to comfort him. But he could have sent angels to deliver him, to rescue him, to, to change the ties, to change everything. And it's interesting in that space that God doesn't meet Jesus with rescue, but with comfort through the pain, not away from it. And you've got to ask the question, when you look at Jesus and his suffering, you're like, man, where does this come from? Like, like, why go through all of that? And I think it speaks to his love. His love of God and his love for you are what carry him to the cross. In Jesus' soul is an agony over the coming separation from his father that he has never experienced. To go from the beloved son of God to an enemy of God, he, it, it is it is the heaviest of anxieties. But simultaneously he is carrying his commitment to rescue us. And this is where obedience shows up in a way that you and I I think sometimes wrestle with is that in this moment Jesus internally would rather the cup pass than to lose this this abiding relationship with his father. But Jesus was so committed to the will of God in this matter that he was willing to pay whatever cost because of this, this is amazing. Being in God's will, Jesus knew, was better than being in his own. Jesus continually surrendered his will to God as Father in his humanity. Jesus knew that there was joy on the other side of his obedience. And for you and I, when, when following Jesus gets hard, it's, it's, am, I, am, I, am I trusting God enough that even though this is difficult in front of me, that, that it could still be for my good and his glory? You see, Jesus had a purpose to his pain. Let me fast forward in the events. After this this intense encounter in the garden, Judas betrays him. He's falsely accused, unfairly tried. He's committed to crucifixion. They strip him naked. They beat him with with a, a, a signet ring, and they crush a crown of thorns into his head, and they whip him until his back is bare and likely his organs are exposed. Isaiah gives us the picture that they plucked out his beard, and he was probably so disfigured that he was unrecognizable to those that knew him. And there's Jesus, weak, suffering, alone, carrying this crossbar up a hill to be crucified. And they lay him down and they nail his hands and his feet to this cross and they raise him up to where this broken and bruised and bloody back would rub up and down a a raw piece of wood just to get a breath and Jesus would hang there in suspension between heaven and earth, suffering, slowly suffocating in agony and pain. And we see this picture of the innocent one, the one who never did anything wrong, bearing the sins of the world. And in that moment, it says in scriptures that it grew dark. And we get this picture that God draws his intimacy away from Jesus as he carries the full force of humanity's sin. And Jesus cries out and he says, God, where are you? Intimacy is separated. Where are you? And then the the soldiers, they offer him wine mixed with myrrh, and he rejects it to carry the full force of God's wrath in our place. And then he cries out, it is finished. And he breathes his last. And Jesus had completed what he came to do. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, I'm just going to give you a few things to, to, to reflect on in this story, because as we get to the Christmas story, I'm not sure what application it carries for you, but it's been hitting differently for me this year. Let me show you what Jesus said in Luke 9 about his own death in, in light of Isaiah 61. Jesus predicted his own, own death in Luke 9, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to all of them, this is amazing, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I don't know what you've heard when it comes to following Jesus. I don't know what, what the invitation has looked like for you, but sometimes it comes across as like, hey, what does it mean to give my life? You're like, I'm just going to follow Jesus, pray a prayer, go to heaven when I die, never have any problems. And that's not the invitation of Jesus at all. From his very mouth is not an invitation to the, to the easy life. It is an invitation to the good life, to the abundant life, to the life that is truly life, a life found with joy and peace and purpose but it is not found without pain. One of the biggest arguments that we struggle with is where is God in the middle of pain? And in Jesus, we see the best best person imaginable experiencing the worst possible circumstances and it was all within God's will. And so you gotta ask the question, is there purpose to my pain? And as I wrestle with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, he invites me what? to literally die to myself, to embrace a life, not, not, not a hobby, <laughs> not, not an add-on, not something that always makes me feel good, but literally to pick up something, this work, this deep work of dying to myself daily. Literally the very thing that I want to avoid, Jesus invites me into as a follower this daily, patient, drawn-out kind of death that I am less of me and more of him over and over again. that He is binding my wondering heart to himself. You say, why would I ever take that step in that direction? Because from Jesus and through Jesus and like Jesus, we can know that there is joy on the other side of every step of obedience. So what do we do? Hebrews 12, let me show you this. This is amazing. The author of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, <laughs> endured the cross. Those two words seem incompatible to me. The joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and the seated at the right hand of God what do we do we look to Jesus and his endurance on our behalf to serve us in our endurance to serve us in the heavy times and the hard times that while not not every pain is orchestrated by God for what it's worth in Romans God promises that all things can work together for our good that even in the most confusing and frustrating of circumstances there can still be purpose purpose And that keeps us holding on. Let me show you, you guys skip to me, skip to Hebrews 10. Let me show you this. This is the invitation for you and I as a result of what Jesus has done. Hebrews, Father, Hebrews says again, don't don't throw away your confidence when it gets hard. Because it's a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive what is you have a need for endurance life is gonna be hard following Jesus is not easy but it is good he is good Friday night we had a night of worship and prayer here and God did amazing things that evening and we, we spent some time in Isaiah 61 you can go read it on your own in your own time and it was a picture of after Jesus suffering what was he doing what was he accomplishing and Isaiah 61 tells us what Jesus came to accomplish to save us and set us free. And he ends with this incredible word picture that because of Jesus' work on our behalf, he's planting our lives like oaks of righteousness, these these just strong trees. And I want you to just imagine these word pictures with me for a minute. I don't know how hard life is, the pain that you're carrying, the suffering that you're walking through or that you're walking with someone else through, but listen to this word picture from Paul David Tripp as he reflects on Isaiah 61. I'm just gonna read it for you. He says, what a beautiful word picture. Oaks of righteousness. What is this good news that Jesus brings except that he's saving us and setting us free and doing something deep inside of us? He asked the question, why is the oak tree tall and strong? The answer is endurance. Oak trees are powerful. They're majestic because they have weathered years and years of withering sun and gusting winds and bitter cold. And every year, season by season, they grow in strength. Year by year and season by season, they send their roots deeper into the soil until they're virtually immovable. He says it takes dense wood and hard bark and deep roots to weather the harsh conditions that an oak tree must endure to be around for generations. But he says it takes generations for the wood and bark and roots to grow. And if this is a picture of long-term spiritual sturdiness, Then this is God's plan for all of his children. Oaks of righteousness. And then he says, but don't forget, at the bottom of the oak tree, you'll probably find some mushrooms. (laughs) And their characteristics are the polar opposite of the oak tree. They grow up overnight, they're quickly gone. They're not strong enough to have deep roots you can you can reach down and flick one over if you want to there's big rapid short-lived growth but it's not what god is after that's why he chose the picture of an oak tree and not a a mushroom to describe you and i because he's after oak trees long-term spiritual maturity not just for our eternal good but also for the never-ending display of his glory Jesus came to do a work of saving and setting us free that we could never do on our own. He suffered in our place for our sin, not because we deserved it or earned it or maintained it, but because of his great love for us. But the work doesn't stop there. What God wants to do in and through you is so much greater than you can ask or imagine. So here's my just reflection questions for you before we worship together some more. And the first one is this. How how does Jesus' suffering Move me to trust in and follow him. I I was wrestling with it. Maybe maybe for you and I, you, you never responded to the invitation to deny yourself and follow him. Not my way, but your way. Not my life, but your life. Maybe there's something that needs to die in me so that I might live. Maybe there's a dream that I'm holding on to that's keeping me from everything that God has for me. Maybe there's an area of obedience that I have been resisting because it's painful and hard, but there's joy on the other side. Maybe there's an area of of control that I've been trying to maintain and there's freedom on the other side. What does Jesus' suffering move me to do? The second question I'd like you to wrestle with is, am I more of a, a mushroom or an oak tree? How do I respond when it gets hard? What do I do with pain and suffering? Is there hope in the story of Jesus? Is there purpose in my pain? And here's my last question for you. Rather than running or resisting, is there a purpose to be found in my pain? Good, I I wouldn't stand up here and tell you that God orchestrates all suffering. I don't believe he does. We live in a broken world and there's lots of suffering. But he's big enough and he's good enough to make all things work together for good. Christmas Eve is around the corner, and I just want to remind you of this as we close our time. The oak tree doesn't exist just for itself. As the oak grows, as it is strong, it provides shade and beauty to the world around it. It continues to grow and produce fruit. Now I want you to know, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, as your roots grow down deep into God's love, like Paul says in Ephesians, He intends for those roots then to push fruit out of the top. (laughs) That our lives would not just be a a life aligning with Jesus, but they would be a benefit to others. And so when it comes to Christmas Eve, this is a season, and it's an opportunity to invite our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, to hear truly good news, to see good news through us, to hear good news through us, to experience good news through us. But then we get to invite them, come sit with me, And hear truly good news. But listen, don't stop there. Invite them to Christmas Eve. Invite them to City Church. Invite them to your kitchen table. Invite them to a walk around the park. It doesn't matter. Invite them into your life recognizing that God is planting you for a purpose. Jesus has called us to live on mission, to help people find their way to God from where they are. Let me pray for you. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is just a moment of reflection. As you look at the three questions, as you wrestle with Jesus' suffering in your place on your behalf, what's your next step? Right now in this space, the invitation to die to ourselves, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in the room and you've never taken a moment and said, Jesus, thank you what you did in my place for my sins Jesus I believe you died to save me and set me free and I want to give you my life I want you to know with confidence today that if you pray that prayer in your heart and mind it's not a get out of you know go to heaven free card or some mumbo jumbo like that It's, it's life today and forever trusting in Jesus you can have confidence that heaven is rejoicing in the moment that you turn your life over to Jesus Some of you, life is just hard. There's pain, there's struggling, there's there's frustration. Maybe with yourself, maybe with others, maybe with circumstances out of your control, and maybe you'd surrender those this morning. So Father, we come to you, and we say thank you for Jesus and his suffering on our behalf, in our place for our sin, so that we don't have to. That he would give up his place as the Son of God so that we could become children of God. That you make enemies your family. So God, I pray our roots grow down deep into your love. And I pray the overflow of that would be the way that we love our neighbors and that heaven would be more crowded because of what you do in and through us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.